Let's turn in the Scriptures to the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea, if you know where we've been in Isaiah, so after Isaiah is Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then Hosea. And it's the beginning of the twelve minor prophets. Hosea chapter 10. We're looking this evening at verse 12. Again, as we begin our preparation to partake of the Lord's Supper next Lord's Day. And often uh, this sermon, the Lord's Day before, might be a, a sermon about repentance, usually. And so that's what we have this evening. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. And uh, before we read God's Word, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank You once again for blessing us with Your Word. That even when Your Word is hard to hear, it is such a blessing. We know it is an outpouring of Your grace. It is still wonderful to hear Your voice. And so, Father, convict us and turn us today from any sin we might be in to You. That we would be all the more prepared to worship You, not only next Lord's Day, but every day. As we are prepared, we pray that You would prepare us for eternity when we will worship You every day, every moment, for eternity. And so, cleanse us now. And turn our hearts now to You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. These are God's words. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. Those are God's words. Again, when we come to the Lord's Supper, our Lord promises that He is present with us. He is in our midst. We commune with Him. We partake of Him. He says of the bread that we partake of, He said, this is My body. Of the wine, He says, this is My blood. This is the blood of the New Testament. Jesus is the bread. He is the cup. And what does He say? Of the bread, My body broken for you. Of the cup, My blood shed for you. And so when we come to the table, there is a real experience of fellowship with Christ Jesus. At least, there should be. And that's what we hope for. 1 Corinthians 10, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And there have been many times, I hope, that you, in coming to the table, if you've been a Christian for a time, you have experienced, in coming to the table of the Lord, you've experienced the power, the love, and the presence of the Lord when we have sat down at table with Him. And so that when you partook of the bread and you partook of the cup and you heard the words that He spoke, 
And there you know. You know by faith that Christ is there, that He loves you, that He died for you, that He sacrificed everything, Himself, His body included, for you. All those things of the world happening, causing you to struggle in your mind, your body, your soul, but when you come here and you come to the table, partaking of the Lord's Supper, you know by faith that Christ is present with you. And as hopefully all of you have experienced that at times, we need to ask the questions when we come to the table, why it is that we don't experience that all the time? Why is it that Lord's Day after Lord's Day at times, even now in these days, why is it that it just seems like, at times, I'm going through the motions. Other times, yes, it's very good, there's great power, there's, I know the love of Christ, but there's other times where it seems I'm just going through the motions. And it's all just a ceremony, really, even though, uh, you know, many of us would say this is simple worship, biblical worship, uh, not anything to do with the ceremonial worship of the Old Testament, and yet, what is it feel like sometimes, but we're just going through these ceremonial aspects uh, because we're going through the motions. And so we're just doing what we're supposed to do. And that's become a tradition or ceremony to us. There's no power in it. I don't feel the love of Christ in it. I don't feel His presence in it. Just in worship. Why, when we come then to the Lord's Supper, why does it seem to me that the blessing of the Lord at times seems to be absent? Why is my prayer life non-existent? There's no life in it at all. I pray, but there's no life to it. When reading the Scriptures, the same. No life to it. No passion, no joy. Just going through the motions, drudging through it to get it done. There's no power. The answer is that there is a number of possible answers to that. those questions that we pose. Why is there no power? Why don't we feel the love of Christ? One possibility that we always need to be aware of is the possibility that there is sin in your life, in my life. The sin that so easily overwhelms you. That there is a sin in your life and you know it's there or you don't know it's there, but there's sin in your life that's hindering you seeing, feeling the power, the love, and the presence of Almighty God. How is that? Because sin is a separator from God. There's sin. And when there is no repentance and no grief and sorrow over that sin, even if you are unaware of the sin, God sees that sin, and at times, as we've studied before, He may lift His blessing from us. Every week, then we should come, when we come to worship, every week in our preparation, which should be done all the week, but especially you know Saturday night, when we come... To worship, we ought to be coming, confessing our sin, repenting, turning from those sins to Christ, not just when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Every time, every week, we're contemplating those things, considering our thoughts, considering our feelings, considering our desires, considering our loves, our actions. When we have, 
when we have, where we have turned from the Lord. Where is that in you? This, friends, is preparation for worship every Lord's Day. And we have given another opportunity when we become lax. We made mention of this this morning. When we become lax in that, in that duty of examining ourselves all the time, we have a great opportunity when we have the Lord's Supper to especially be reminded we need to examine ourselves. We need to look at our hearts, our minds, our wills, our desires our affections, our emotions, and put them up to the standard of the Word of God and to the standard of God's righteousness, perfect righteousness. And where we see sin, if there be any sin, if we're wherever we see it, we ought to repent. But if we don't examine, if we don't repent, just like He commands us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if we don't do that, if we're in sin and we don't repent, then we risk, friends, missing out on the Lord's blessing for those times of worship and uh, of the sacraments. Now our God is merciful, He's gracious, praise God for that. And so there are times when we are in sin, when we're still in sin, we don't see the sin, and yet He still blesses. Praise God for that. He's merciful and gracious, even though we don't deserve it. But sometimes we ought to know as well that He withholds blessings at times. And it's our duty to mortify sin daily. That is, put, to sin, put sin to death. As Romans 8 verse 13 says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And our passage this evening in Hosea is a prophet. As a prophet, predominantly he's prophesying against the sins, the covenant breaking of the northern kingdom of Israel. But he does the same with Judah as well. And so as we consider mostly Israel, and Israel generally, it's the land flowing with milk and honey. Great blessing, a land of blessing for God's people given as their inheritance on the earth. What a blessing. And so many promises of earthly blessings to the people of God in Israel. But in Hosea's day, that's the 700s B.C., they were not experiencing blessing. It had been removed. God had removed His blessing from them in many ways. They were not experiencing the presence of God. They were not experiencing the power of God being sent upon them. And remembering that our God does not change... Why were they not experiencing that blessing anymore? Sin. Unrepentant sin. All the prophets concern Israel's and Judah's sin. And the judgments upon them because they had broken God's law and rebelled against Him. Sin. Think of the prophets. How many times do we read about God's anger and wrath? towards the sin of His covenant people. It's all over the place. And why do we read about that? So that those souls who were hearing that at the time would be awakened in their souls and turn from their sins and repent. Turn to Christ like we're called to do all the time and repent. And yet what did they do often? They continued 
in their sins. So no blessing. The Lord continued to freely offer, freely offer forgiveness to all of them if they would just repent. To bless them if they would just turn back to Him. And if they would, they would, He would show mercy and grace to them and bless them. But they remained and continued in their sin. If Israel wanted blessing, if they were to receive the blessing of God again, they had, uh, then there's something required of them. We ask the question of ourselves, do you want to experience the power of God in worship? When you sit at the table of our, our Lord, do you want to feel and know His love and His blessing? Do you want the presence of God? Do you want to know the presence of God? And the Lord says here in our passage, break up your fallow ground. The first thing, first point this evening is a wayward heart. A wayward heart. Break up your fallow ground is what verse 12 says right there in the middle. In a similar passage in Jeremiah 4, it says this, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Sow not among thorns. In our passage it says, sow to yourselves in righteousness. The, an opposite way of saying that is, sow not among the thorns. Like Jeremiah says. And that helps us understand more so what he's saying here in Hosea 10. Sow not. Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Now, breaking up the fallow ground has to do with sowing seed not among thorns. This is an illustration or a word picture, right? Of farming the field, of a garden, language, right? That we might grasp, using that language of the garden or the field, we would grasp more closely what he's saying. And what's being said is about your heart. It's about your heart. The fields, the garden in Scripture are a symbol for, often, your heart. In Jeremiah 4, we just read, the hearts of the people there are mixed with thorns. Their hearts are thorny. You see, Israel had a very external Religion, they thought because they went to worship, they offered the sacrifices, even in their wrong place, and did everything right outwardly like they thought they were, uh, even though they were wrong, like the Pharisees, right? They did all their outward things, if we're thinking of the New Testament, like the Pharisees. They would, that would mean they would be blessed. As long as they do what they're supposed to do. And that's false. We've learned, we learn that all the time. The Lord requires your heart, not your sacrifice. Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 4, it says, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. In Jeremiah 31, Their soul shall be as a watered garden. When you think of the parable of the sower, probably the, uh, the, the best illustration that we are familiar with. The different types of ground, the different types of soil, represents the heart's that receive the Word. Where is the Word sown? 
And so we know not only in Jeremiah 4, but in our passage, Hosea 10, the language here about the ground and sowing, the language is showing us that there is a problem with the heart. There is a problem with the heart. The heart is like a field or a garden, and it needs to be dealt with. There's something wrong with it. It needs to be dealt with. And what is true of hearts who are not in Christ, not believers, what is true of their hearts? Their hearts are dead. Their hearts are like, if we're using the similar illustration, their hearts are like a desert. There's nothing. There's dead. There's, there's no life at all. There's just death. But in Christ, for the believer, the Christian, the hearts are a spiritual garden. There's life there. There's life in Christ. You walk, you picture it to, uh, into one of those botanical gardens in the summer. A field, perhaps with tons of life, or your garden in July. There's life everywhere. I think of a, a pine tree. The sap comes into you, the believer, and gives life. There's green grass. I think of just fields or gardens generally. There's green grass, there's flowers, there's trees, there's rivers, there's waters, there's fruit, great lovely fruit. And then as you grow in Christ and you have greater communion with Him, the garden becomes more and more beautiful and more and more fruitful. But what we see here in other places in the New Testament is that the Christian garden, in the Christian garden, while you're still on this earth, there, there, are, there, are, there are also thorns, weeds, and thistles. Indwelling sin, the flesh. And in the illustration of the parable of the sower, in our passage, the seed that is sown is the Word of God. And when the worldly seed, the worldly seed is sown, thorns come up, and they choke out the other seed that's sown the Word. And so that the good plants in the garden begin to produce less fruit and not as good fruit. And what's the parable say of those seeds sown among the thorns? And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And Christian, what are you desiring? You ought to be desiring all these good things with God, uh, communion, blessing, love from Him, comfort, all these things. But these things, because of your sin, are choked out. They're choked out. That's the problem Israel had too. Thorns in their hearts. Look at the passage in Hosea 10 and verse 2. Their heart is divided. Verse 1 and 2, the same chapter, Hosea 10, verses 1 and 2, we find out why their heart is divided. It's because of idols, sin. All these things are replacing Jehovah. And so when the Word comes, these idols, these things that have replaced God, strangle out the Word like thorns. Uh, the Word, the blessing is choked out. And what things in your life then? We ask the question. What things in your life are causing you to take your eyes off 
off of Jesus and focus on other things. This is just one possibility, remember? Why why are you not feeling the love of Christ? Why don't you know, know personally His power? Not just know it in your mind that He's powerful. But why don't you know His power? Why have you not experienced His presence lately or His blessing, perhaps? Because your eyes are constantly being turned away from Christ to other things, which are idols. And so blessing is removed. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the Word and it becometh unfruitful. Unfruitful. Blessing removed. It could be other things. Why you're not seeing these things, not knowing His love, not knowing His presence. could be other things. But that's why you have to examine yourself. As Paul commands, or the Lord through Paul commands. One of uh, the congregation uh, brought to me this past week, Proverbs 3, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. And so, we are to believe, right? Don't trust in yourself, but believe in the Lord. And then it says, the next verse, In all thy ways acknowledge Him. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. And He shall direct thy paths. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. And so when you take your eyes off of Him, and what you're trusting in, and what you're loving, and what you're submitting to, when you turn from Him, He removes the blessing. And so we have to ask, what does your time look like? Do you have time to spend with the Lord in prayer, in the Word, in your family, with your family in family worship? How do you spend your time? Perhaps all of your time is sleep and work, sleep and work. Where is your time with the Lord so that your focus is on Him? What are you using your energy for? Some of you are young, you have tons of energy. What are you using your energy for? And some of you are older and your energy is growing less and less and less. What are you using your energy for? That is so precious. You should know you're you're struggling in faith. If you are struggling in faith and love for God, if you're coming to worship and you have no passion to be here, to love an absolutely desperate need, There's no love. There's no desperate need to hear Jesus speak. There is nothing in you where you're saying you you feel, I have to hear. If there's anything that has to be done, I have to hear Jesus speak. And that's not there. If you don't have that, there's no passion to be here, then you've turned from the Lord. And you're in sin. And this might appear as not uh, coming to worship as much anymore. And so you come in the morning, but not in the evening. Prayer meeting, when you have the opportunity to participate, you have time to do it. It's not hard to participate, but you choose not to do it. We could go on and on in those uh, primary Christian duties. Bible reading, 
Prayer, worship attendance, supporting the church, all these things we took vows to do, and what we are what what are you doing that then diminishes those things? Spending your energies turning from God instead of turning toward Him. What is it that you're doing that's turning from Him? And this is the sin we're speaking of here. Thorns that strangle out God's blessing. These are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4. My friends, as we prepare next Lord's Day to come to the table, if that's how you're approaching life, then you will certainly experience no blessing unless the Lord shows mercy. And we do pray that the Lord would show mercy. But if He withholds that mercy, you will not receive blessing. Or not know that blessing. And the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is not magic. It's not like the Roman Catholics believe. It doesn't guarantee greater faith and grace and blessing to you just because you sit down and partake it. Or partake of it. And so do you have a heart with thorns? A wayward heart. Think of how miserable Israel was in their idolatry and their sin. And out of the Lord's mercy and grace, He comes to them, praise God, He comes to them through the poverty, shows them the way, the blessing, the path to blessing to take. He does the same thing for us this evening. He tells us exactly what we need to hear. He commands us. The second point is the remedy. The remedy. Break up your fallow ground. Praise God, the Lord tells us this. Break up your fallow ground. You're in the garden, in the field. It's hard. The ground's hard. There's weeds, thorns growing up in it. So break up your fallow ground. Just like if you had a garden, that's what you would do. What happens in the garden? Weeds come up. You break the ground that's hard, maybe, uh, and there's a, or maybe there's a hard crust over it. You turn over the soil. And what happens? The weeds die. You're also aerating the soil, introducing more oxygen to the roots, allowing more moisture to get down to the roots and more nutrients there, which all that you're doing is introducing more life to it, right? To the plants. More life, more nutrients. The weeds, the thorns aren't going to choke out the plants anymore. Now there's going to be more fruits, more growth. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Break up your fallow ground. The Lord's saying, repent. Repent of your idols. Turn from those idols and turn to Me. Repent of your false ways, your divided heart. Repent. Every single one of us will go through life as God's children. Every single one of us, and it might be right now, and you'll experience at some point, and maybe multiple times, a heart divided. Thorns in your heart. And we will all experience that. All the time. Things choking out the Word. You struggle to see any love of God or some love of God, right? You might see some love of God here, but in other places where you're hearing even God's Word, you're not seeing and knowing His love. You struggle to see the love of God or the blessing of God to you. You're struggling in sin. And every single one of us Christians will go through that at some point where we just plain struggle. And sometimes those are long periods of time of struggle, and sometimes they're short periods of time and struggle. 
Maybe for some of you it has been a decade or longer in struggling. And by God's grace, you're still here. Like Israel, still there. But how gracious our God is, again, that He comes to us. He comes to you this evening. He calls to you. He commands you. Repent. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from that sin that has held you down for the decade. Turn from that sin finally. Don't you see? Don't you see what He's showing you here? Your waywardness. Your sin. Hate it. Be sorrowful concerning it. For look at what it has done to you. Cold heart. You don't get to feel the blessing, the power, the presence, the love of God like you once had. And you want that again. Then turn from the sin to Him. To break up the fallow ground, friends, you must admit what it is. The fallow ground that you once tilled in your heart has gone by the wayside. There's some weeds, there's thorns that have grown up. You have to admit what your fallow ground is. Right? Your sin. Wherever that sin is, confess it to the Lord. And today, come to Him. Isn't Christ better than all these idols that you have stored up in your heart and they're down there in the deep recesses and nobody's ever seen them? And maybe you haven't thought of them until right now. Or this week when you examine yourself, you haven't thought about them. You didn't even know they were there. But isn't the Lord greater than those abominations? Isn't, those, isn't the, the Lord greater than those worldly things that you take pleasure in and entertain yourself with? Isn't our God in Christ more lovely than all those things that you so enjoy in your flesh? And he's pleading now. He says, flee to the mercy of God in Christ. And do it now. And to all of you, if you would repent, if you would turn from your sin, whatever those sins might be, or a particular sin, turn to Christ. If you would repent, whether uh, for the first time or the upteenth time this week or this very day, Christ is your Savior. And you're forgiven. And His blood covers that sin and those sins. He cleanses, He washes you clean with His blood, the mercy and grace of our God. The Lord says, If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. And if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of thy sight, out of my sight. Blessing. He goes on, he says, Blessing. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing to you. And what if I just continue as I am? Your fallow ground continues. More weeds, thorns will grow up. Right? You don't take care of a garden. I always like the, just thinking of a house that somebody moves out, nobody moves in, and just, and all the grass around just becomes a wasteland within a very short amount of time. And the roof starts to cave in just within a few years. Because no one's taking care of it. No one's going in and mowing and taking care of things. Here is the same with the garden. And your heart. More weeds and thorns will grow up. There will continue to be less and less fruit produced. The fruit that's there will turn and rot and fall off. Everything, Christian, to you will be in the past then. 
That is, I used to be passionate about Jesus. I used to love Christ with all my heart and I felt Him. I felt His presence. I felt His power. I used to feel His power. I used to know He was present with me. But it's all in the past when you experience that and no longer. I used to pray a lot. I used to read the Scripture faithfully every day for long periods and I loved it because I was learning about Christ and I was learning about my God. I used to come to worship morning and evening every Lord's Day. I used to. I used to. I used to, but not today. The question is, are you with the Lord now? What about now? Not in the past, but now. The great danger of that state, friends, when it's all in the past, is to fall to find that you were never converted in the first place. That's the great danger. That's why our, our, our Lord through Paul, we heard this morning, calls us to examine ourselves. He says, examine yourselves whether ye you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. And so examine yourselves. And we look... A great place to go to examine yourself, 1 Corinthians 11, and, and using the larger catechism that helps you look at different our love for Christ, our faith, our charity to all men, all these different things uh, that helps us. And I think it's larger catechism 171. Maybe it's in our bulletin. It is. It's right there in your bulletin. You can use that this week uh, to help examine yourself as the Lord calls us to do. What happens if you don't break up the fallow ground this week? What happens if you don't uproot and kill your sin today? That's the warning in, in Jeremiah 4 is, Lest my fury come like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. And you don't want that. I don't want that. He tells us what to do. That fallow ground of your hearts is to be broken up. That sin is to be mortified, to be put to death. And that sin, you hate it. Why? Because it makes you feel so empty and cold. Don't you hate that? Don't you want to be rid of that? The feel... The love of God in Christ and His presence. Then turn from your sin. And how can you do that? And how can you not just turn from a sin, but then put on righteousness? That's the opposite thing that has to happen. You can only do it by the strength, not of yourself, but of the strength given to you by Jesus Christ, by His Spirit. And so what do we do? We break up our fallow ground this week. We work at breaking up that fallow ground. Your sin, pray that you would. Pray. Ask the Lord, Lord, I can't do this myself. I've tried it for 10 years, 20 years. I can't do it. Lord, do it for me. Strengthen me to do it. To break it, to to put to death these sins and turn unto you because I can't do it myself. 
And so to yourselves no longer in sin, but just like our passage says, in righteousness and reap a bountiful harvest. And that's His promise to you here. What do we learn? We looked at John 15 a while ago. What do we learn there? I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. How does he do that? How does he purge? How does he prune? He does it when we take on that duty of examining ourselves. When we come to worship and we hear him speak, and we hear of our sins and we turn from those sins, he does it when we prepare and as we come to the table of the Lord. That it would bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And then he says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. You understand? When you're abiding in Christ, He produces great fruit in you. When you're turning to Him, when you're looking to Him, He produces great fruit in you. But He has great warnings here as well in John 15. of If you don't abide in Him, if you're looking at the world and lusting after your flesh and doing all the things you want to do, it's not what Christ wants you to do. You're not mortifying the deeds of the flesh. You're continuing in your sin. You're not breaking up the fallow ground. What does He say? If a man abide not in Me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If ye abide in Me, and My words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is My Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be My disciples." What do His disciples do? They bear much fruit. How do they do that? They abide in Christ. And so abide in Christ, friend. Mary Magdalene weeping at the empty tomb, right? The empty tomb on the, on the, the Lord's Day, the first Lord's Day, when Christ rose from the dead. And she saw the, empty, the tomb empty. She's weeping because she desired, her heart desired to abide in Christ, to be there with Him. And He wasn't there. And Jesus said to her when He appeared to her, and she didn't know it was Him the first time, He said, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing Him to be the gardener, saith unto Him, Sir, if thou have borne Him hence, tell me where thou hast laid Him, and I will take Him away. What faith she had. She believed she could take a dead body of an adult male away herself. And she thought he was, Jesus was the gardener, the keeper of that tomb and things around it. And he certainly is the chief gardener of our souls and her soul. And her weeping was turned to rejoicing because the chief gardener of her soul and your souls, the, the great comfort is that if you go to Him, abide in Him, acknowledging Him, submitting to Him, He will bless you and produce fruit in you. You go out to your garden, you look around. That's what you ought to do this week. That is, look at your heart. 
And as you look at your garden there, there's a few plants, fruits being produced over here and over there. Oh, but as you look around, you see a patch of weeds. And it's becoming overgrown over here. There's some thorns over there growing up. A tree, one of those, if you have a garden, one of those hideous silver maple trees or something growing up in your garden. That's just annoying. And it's becoming overgrown. No fruit is hanging on. No fruit is on the plant. There's no plants anymore. They're all choked out. There's no. There's nothing there but death, except for the weeds and the thorns. And what do you do? You look at where things are going well. There's righteousness. There's fruit being produced over here, right? And maybe you fertilize, right? You get into the Word more there. You study. You keep. You keep making sure you're godly over here. But the weeds, the overgrown area where you see your sin as you examine yourself this week over, over yonder, break up that foul ground, friends. What is it that's keeping you so busy that you can't turn to the Lord and take care of your heart? That you refuse to. That's keeping you in that sin where your heart is divided. Is it your work? Is it your entertainments? Your pleasures? Your... Your food, your drink. What is it that's keeping you from following Christ wholeheartedly? Go there in your heart and turn the soil over. Get rid of the weeds. Burn them. Destroy them. Kill them. And sow seeds of the Word in your heart that they would grow in Christ. Cultivate your heart so that it's ready to receive the rains. As the verse says, break up your fallow ground for it's time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. What if there's thorns there? And there's weeds. And He's ready to rain righteousness upon you. It's just going to be sown unto more growth of the weeds and the thorns. And so turn the ground. Turn from that sin to the Lord. Keep your eyes focused on Him. Be in prayer. Be in the Word. Continue to come to worship. Wait till He comes and rains righteousness down upon you and blessing and His presence and His love. What is the Lord calling us to this evening? Very simple. It's what we read in Philippians. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both the will and the do of His good pleasure. Attack. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Attack the thorns. Attack the weeds. You make war upon them. You have examined your heart countless times and you have may have missed... You may have missed some of those thorns or weeds all the time that you examined yourself in the past. And those things have become so personal to you. Now those sins, now now you see them though. If you examine yourself this week, you see them now. Then destroy them. As soon as you see them, destroy them. Get out the flamethrower, right? And destroy them. Get a nuke. Destroy them, right? Do anything you can 
to destroy the sin and turn to Christ. Because in Christ there is blessing. And that's what we want. We want to be blessed. To feel His power, to feel His love, to feel His presence. That's what we want, and so that's what we have to do. Because that's what He says. And so you're to turn today, resolve to break up that fallow ground and seek the Lord in Christ to abide in Him forever. Let's pray. Our Father, thank You once again for Your Word. We're thankful for the great, uh, the wonderful grace that You show to us that You reveal these hard things so that we can turn from our waywardness to You. We pray that this week, even today, You would show us where we are wayward, where we have sin, where we have the weeds and the thorns, the overgrown parts of our hearts that are in the pleasures of the world and the the flesh and even where the devil has worked in us great sin by his great temptations. And that You, by Your Holy Spirit, sending the Spirit of Christ unto our hearts, cause us to put those sins to death. And we pray that we would then abide in Christ, keep seeking after Him just like the church, the bride in Song of Solomon, seeking, we heard this morning, seeking after Him wherever she could find Him, seeking Him. And that we would find Him. And that we would not turn away from Him again. And so, Father, we pray that if we would do so by Your Spirit and by Your grace, we pray that You would be faithful to again bless Your people and show us Your love and Your power, Your presence, and that we would even experience it in full love for You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.